All right, and welcome to the Sins of Nastown podcast. I'm your host, TJ Lanemeyer. With me as always, James O'Hara. Hello. Sean Hogan. Hola. All right, boys. It is, uh, it's been about six weeks since we did this. Uh, Sean was on vacation. I was on death's door. Uh, <laughs> Two equally fun things. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just same sides of the spectrum, you know? So that's okay. uh, I mean, it's not like a lot happened. So, you know, if we did this too frequently, it would get very boring very quickly. <laughs> At least right now we can say that the nationals are playing their quote, best baseball of the season. Oh yeah. Well, is it three wins in six games? <laughs> that's 500 baby. <laughs> I mean, they, they had a three game streak. Have we hit four? No, they, they lost, they dropped two to the Braves. Um, oh, have they hit four this season? Yes. No, no they no have way. not. Yeah, because no we each had have. a longer streak than they did. <laughs> yeah, so. they've hit three twice, maybe? Yeah, I think they, they've hit three one other time, because I do remember celebrating Oh, that. they've hit three oh. five times. Wow, look at that. I was going to say, what fi- was relatively recently? Yeah. Yeah, May 25th to 28th, June 3rd to June 5th, June 26th to June 28th, big June. Twice in a month. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and almost three times. 20, I mean, really, 48. <laughs> that May one, technically, it's three times within uh, you know 30 days because that May one also falls within the same period. Yep. And then July, when it, July 24th to July 26th, uh, and then September 9th to September 5th. So okay. a classic, like, yeah, you know, they had a little. They tried to go on a little streak there to not get everybody traded, but sadly failed. <laughs> yeah, that did that did not work out well. But we're not here to talk about trades. No. We're here to talk about all this young talent coming up to the Washington oh, Nationals yeah, Major baby. League team: Joey mm-hmm. Manessis, Ildaramo Vargas, uh, Luke Voigt. You know, all these really young, all these young bucks players. Yeah, yeah, the classic. Early 30s. Early. Hey, then you got real young book, Alex Call, who's only 28. Yeah, that's true. Lane Thomas, also, I believe, only 28. Um, You know, it's all, a lot of young players. Kyle Finnegan, I believe, is only 30. How old is Kyle Finnegan? He's 31, apparently. 31. <laughs> wow, I thought I was being mean by going to 30. I thought I had gone too far, and it turns out he is 31. So, you know, a lot of great contributors. Carl Edwards Jr., who is also 31, you know, so. So 30 is the new 20 is what you're talking Oh, yeah. Okay. That's what I tell myself, at least. <laughs> uh, speaking of actual uh, younger players to come up, Cade Cavalli was seen in a Washington Nationals jersey for all of six minutes and then Born went down with <laughs> went down with a uh shoulder strain inflammation could not even couldn't even break the strasburg line strasburg got further into his one game than cavalli did <laughs> before coming out <laughs> so that tells you a lot yeah not great uh his name just fell on my head the shortstop from the podcast cj abrams cj abrams there we go i'm like it's right there. Yeah, uh, CJ Adrian started slow, has looked better as of late. And he re-revised that back to slow again. Um, he, he, had a, he had a very nice, he's had a really nice Carter Keyboom debut right now where he had like one week period 
where he had a couple hits and a few games. And so you're like, oh, look at this one week, you know, one week stats. He looks great. He's picking it up and then just immediately back to garbage. The positive is he's playing decent defense. Um, The negative is pretty much everything else. Which is funny because the defense was supposed to sort of be the thing that was not really ever supposed to. Yeah, it's very much like Trey Turner in that regards, and then very much not like Trey Turner in the the fact that you know he's not hitting at all. Like Trey Turner was both sneakily better at defense than we thought based on the minor league reports, and then also sneakily better power hitter than both the minor league reports and numbers indicated he could be, uh, which was very nice. That's how you get a pretty good three win player that then explodes into a five six win player. Uh, Abrams is at least playing defense better than we expected uh, and has some really nice highlight real plays um, and is fast like expected decent base running but is not hitting at all and is also not walking at all yeah I don't I don't understand the thought process with calling him up Um, no yeah well well, I guess the thing is, is like, why send him to AAA at all if eight yeah. games is what you're going to put him there for? Yeah. Well, so that was their idea because that's what they had done with Caber Ruiz, which was like, we don't want you to just jump into this new major league clubhouse and you know immediately start trying to perform for a new team and new fans. Which you know, I guess you know makes sense that you don't want to put pressure on guys immediately. But also, on the other hand, you know what. Like why it's not like he's meeting those teammates or fans in a low pressure situation in Rochester. Those are all completely different people. Yeah. So it's not like these like he goes to Rochester and then gets called up. None of the people in Rochester with him are coming up with him. So right. it's still gonna be complete he's gonna get called up to completely new teammates and a big fan situation. So from that point of view, it doesn't matter. It's it's odd. And then for the other point that we had been talking about is that he wasn't really doing that well in triple A to begin with, with San Diego mm-hmm. that really, and, you know, and he had not done well in his short time in, with the Padres, you know, actually in San Diego. So there wasn't really a huge need to be calling out, you, you know, we had compared him to like Luis Garcia's stats, you know, Garcia was destroying all AAA pitchers. You're like, well, you have to bring him up because he's not learning anything new. You know, uh, Abrams only had a 116 WRC plus in AAA with the Padres you know, only 5.3 walk rate. He wasn't striking out, um, but, you know, he's making a lot of contact and a decent amount of power, which was kind of surprising, but, you know, wasn't really amazing. He was just doing okay. Yeah, and uh, I think and that then, that's like an extreme hitter's park, too, that he was playing. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah, I assume he was in the Pacific Coast League, yep. uh, which is a lot of good offensive parks. So, you know, that's the other thing where you see like 314, 364, 507. You're like, wow. And then it's like 116 WRC plus. It's like, okay, <laughs> definitely have to adjust expectations. Um, you know, and really that was you know, basically what he had done at 2021 in double A. So, you know, from that perspective, it was nice that he had leveled up in competition, was still doing okay. Downside, I think, is he wasn't really destroying the baseball like you would see guys who would normally look for a call up. And then in, with the Nats, they, it's funny 
TJ said he only played eight games, and then he wasn't really that good in those eight games. <laughs> no, no. I mean, they called him up anyways. It's like, yeah, well, I mean, just on a baseline of like a 698 OPS is not screaming for a call-up. No, yeah. 65 ISO. <laughs> his strikeout rate was way higher than it had been. His walk rate was about the same, but you know, you know, lower than what we had seen in 2019 and 2021, which is what people had really gotten excited about, uh, was that he had good bat-to-ball skills and was seeing the ball was taking a lot of walks in the lower levels of the minors. So you're like, all right, well, and he has a lot of speed. You're like, well, this is you know a perfect leadoff hitter that you can put in the middle infield. That's where he gets all his prospect hype from. Triple A this year, he was not really walking that much. You know, it wasn't Luis Garcia levels bad, but it, not really like you know at a noticeable clip. Uh, and he was getting a little bit extra power, but you like you said, you don't really know how much of that is him and how much was the parks. And then he came to DC, was walking the same amount, had none of the power, um, and was striking out a little more. It's like at that point, I think once you see those results, you should revise your plan and say, okay, let's get him more time in Rochester. You know, he was up at San, in San Diego, but that was really just because Tatis got injured, and they were just trying to see if hey. You know, we have enough stars to kind of cover our lineup. We can put you at the bottom and then see, you know, what it looks like. Uh, but I don't think he was ready to be called up by San Diego then. It didn't look like he was ready to be called up now. So it is very odd. And I mean, we should say he is 21. Like, yeah. it, there's plenty of time for him to grow into this role. Uh, right. It's more of an indictment on the organization than the player. Yeah, because it's like, <clears throat> he's 21. Why you got to force it? All of these well, things say you don't need to, you know. And it's odd because they did the same thing. Like Luis Garcia stayed down for so long this year because they were going to try to put him at shortstop for some reason. Um, even though he I mean, he was destroying AAA pitching to the point that it was like, I, you know, and they had gotten out of the playoff race so quickly that it just didn't make sense. Uh, why can I not get the other Luis Garcia to show up? <laughs> On Fangrass, try to mention he had a 130 WRC plus in AAA. If that's what you're yeah. looking for, that was thank you. So I yeah, that's more star level that you're, you're expecting and trying to hope for when you're going to call somebody up. So it's weird that they slow played Garcia, who's the same age, because they wanted to do some development there. And then with Abrams, you know, it definitely feels more like they needed to have somebody from the trade be playing. That's not Luke Voigt, mm-hmm. so that. You know, people wouldn't get mad. Hopefully, not. You know, people wouldn't get mad uh, that Juan Soto was traded, and since Mackenzie Gore is injured, the only other guy who was even close to the majors was Abrams. So they're like, I guess we got to call him up. But that's not really a good new development plan. Yeah. No. no, it's actually a, a really bad development plan <laughs> from the from the organization who brought you plenty of bad development plans. Here's a new one. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Not great. Um, but let's, uh, let's take a look at what the Nats been doing over the last couple of weeks. Like we said, they have been playing some of their best baseball. Uh, that is a very low bar. Watch out. You may trip. Um, <laughs> but let's take a look. They, uh, they won a series with the Marlins. Well, they, they won a game against the Marlins. Wasn't that, like weren't they like one in ten or something? Uh, that is the point. Yeah, they were. They are now three and thirteen against the Marlins. So they just Ooh. took two of three. So that means you're correct. They were one in twelve against the Marlins. So 
they tripled the number of wins they had against the Marlins this season. Take that, you dumb fish. <laughs> now have moved ahead of, they have more wins against the Marlins than they do the Phillies. Uh, they have the same number of wins as they do against Atlanta. Actually, they might have more against Atlanta. Yeah, they do, because today's game was not being counted there. Mm-hmm. So there you go. You got uh, one more win against Atlanta. So four wins against Atlanta, three against Miami, two against Philadelphia, and five wins over the Mets. So, yeah, that really tells you something. Yeah, I'm trying to look here of anything that's worth talking about. Uh, Split with the Padres after we last recorded. That was kind of funny. (laughs) I mean, also the Padres played like shit for like, what, a month and a half? After yeah. that trade, that was uh, <clears throat> an interesting strategy on their part. But luckily, there were exactly the number of you know the Giants also played like shit, so nobody else is trying to get that third wild card. So the Padres are still in pretty safe territory. Are uh, the except, Phillies chasing them? Except for the Brewers. Oh, the Brewers, uh, that's what it is. Yeah, yeah, the Brewers. But uh, <laughs> it sounds like Craig Council is pretty resigned to tying the Padres and being fucked. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was because there's no game 163, so it's just whatever the tiebreakers are. And I guess the Padres beat the head Brewers. to head. Head to head. Yeah. That'll do it. Well, the Padres um, are ahead of the Phillies now. Oh, are they really? Yeah, the Padres. Yeah, so I don't know who, what the head to head is between the Phillies and Milwaukee, although Milwaukee's now two and a half behind Philadelphia for that spot. So, uh, but yeah, that was fun uh, beating a potential playoff team and kind of ruining their day a little bit. It was also nice doing that in the beginning of September and took two of three against the Mets in New York, including two back-to-back seven-to-one wins. And two of four against the Cardinals in the following series. Yeah, yeah so some real spoiler stuff. Apparently, and we decided we want Philadelphia to make those playoffs. Those three straight watched. wins were against the Mets and Cardinals. That was the three-game winning streak. Yep. <laughs> Well, we do have a bunch of games against the Phillies towards the end of the season, so maybe we're just waiting to do the spoiling then. That's true. Just really build up their hopes with by getting swept by them in the middle of September, the early September, and then just destroy them right at the end of the season. <laughs> I guess season. we'll have one to four games against them. We'll have one, and then we'll, we may have four if uh, DC allows the Nats to play in Nats Park in October. So that did get resolved. They will oh, be able to play. In, at Nats Park in October. Yeah. Unfortunately. <laughs> what was the issue there? So the issue was, so, yeah, because there's nothing else interesting in this schedule. Oh, they had one walk-off win. That was nice. Uh, and we can talk about Joey Manessis more. Um, so the interest, So the story was that uh, the Nationals Park, Events DC, who built the park, which is, like, sort of part of the, go- the DC government, uh, but it's supposed to kind of be, like, independent entity as well. Uh, they, in the agreement to build the park, were supposed to build 46,000 square feet of retail around the park, uh, you know, back in 2007. And then, you know, it was very slow going. So every year they've been given one year temporary uh, certificates of occupancy, you know, that allow them to have people in the park because they don't want to give, the zoning commission doesn't want to give them the final, their permanent certificate until they complete the agreement. Uh, and so then this year, when so apparently they had been slowly making like plans for what they were going to build there. Uh, and one of them was going to be like that, you know, the original rumor of the MGM sports book was going to be like that big complex 
uh, on the first base right field side mm-hmm. in that corner. Uh, and then it they didn't build that, and instead they put the MGM in that little tiny room next to the Geico garage that used to be the Nat social space. Uh, so at that point, the zoning commission is like, you don't seem to be making any plans or progress towards building retail. So we're not going to give you another temporary one until you file a new, you file a request to change what the agreement was. Because what the events DC wants to do is they just want to build like 17,000 square feet of retail. Like Mm -hmm. it's basically like finishing what's already built uh, and making it available uh, rather than building a new structure. Uh, But yeah, obviously that has to be put in for approval first. And so they said like in July, they said, we're not going to give you another temporary one. Just send us you know, file this request for the 17,000 that you want. So, and then we'll send you a temporary one to cover the review period for that. And then like end of July, they sent that request in and then they got their temporary one. And then I guess somebody who only heard half that story told it to a reporter (laughs) and did not tell them the end part where they had already gotten the new temporary one because they had filed the the request. So it became like a big story that, you know, Nats Park might have to, because it was going to expire September 30th. So it's like, oh, Nats Park might not be able to host the games on the first and the second. And then it you know, quickly came out like a couple of days later in the official news. But I think I saw it on Twitter like a couple hours later. Mm-hmm. Somebody in the zoning commission be like, no, we already gave them another temporary one because they did, you know, it was just a paperwork thing and it's been filed and handled. So they're, they're right. going to be open. <laughs> Jeez. Gotta love getting half the story. Mm-hmm. All right. Speaking of having only half the story right now, uh, we're still waiting on any kind of news uh, talking about the Nats <clears throat> and their potential sale. Um, there was a chat yesterday with Barry's Verluga and Jesse Doherty. Mm-hmm. I think it's Doherty. Is it Doherty? I think so. Interesting. I've never seen that pronounced that way. I just say Doughboy. <laughs> Want to be rude, I guess. <laughs> That's what I do. Uh, where we've we've heard previously about Michael Kim, uh, Stanley Middleman, and then Ted Leonsis are the three names that are out there uh, as people that have gotten access to the uh, financial information. Mm-hmm. And then there are apparently three others that uh, multiple people between Washington Post and The Athletic have attempted to uh, get the names of and have not been able to confirm those. Uh, so we have potentially five or six people bidding. Um, and then for Lucas says here that he thinks it's pretty likely that they will end up selling uh, possibly as early as November. Mm-hmm. Um, but he also says there's a non-zero chance that they look at the offers and go, actually, we're going to hang on to it. Yeah. Which would be very interesting given the last six months. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it, it'd be interesting to see. Uh, I mean, obviously you're smart business people and smart business people don't just say like, oh, I got to get rid of this. Who wants to buy it? All right. You say, yes. Okay. You got it. Here you go. Uh, you know, they, they got to be smart about it uh, and wait it out. And if they don't get the offer they want, then sometimes you say no. I would be surprised. I know it's like way off. Like if the learners, all their evaluations say this is a $3 billion club and the best offer is 2 billion with no negotiation. 
then I guess you, you can see them say no. But I, I would assume, based on the fact that they suddenly, this how sudden this came up, uh, and how it looked like, you know, really that they were setting it up to kind of be passed down through the family, uh, considering how many family members were kind of included as minority owners and, and part of the decision-making process of the club. I mean, that's what we've heard for the last 15 years is that a lot of the decisions about what they do in the club kind of has to go through the whole board of all the different learners, mm-hmm. all approving and putting in their own comments and stuff. And, you know, that Rizzo has talked about how sometimes it's difficult because you, you have like 13 people who need to, you know, who like to put an eye on something. Uh, so it would be interesting that they were kind of following that approach of having the whole family involved and then suddenly be like, oh, you know what, we're going to sell it and not you know, pass it on to these next people to be in charge. So you would assume that decision came for, for some other reason. Right. Yeah. And you have to imagine, I mean, the, the story behind the scenes was that the general net worth of the learners had dropped by approximately $2 billion over the last couple of years. Um, and you know, the economic situation has not exactly gotten better right, <laughs> since those reports re- came out. Yeah. Um, so it, it would certainly make sense for them to be looking at this. Yep. All right. What so, else do we have? Yeah. Like I said, not, not much in terms of news, um, no. but I would still expect them to be sold. How do you think Ted Leonsis would do in a capless world? Uh, I mean, it's an interesting question. Um, I think, he would want to be, but I, cause I think the problem with Leon for Leonsis, like a lot of people are like, Oh, well he'll only spend to the cap, you know, and you see, you see it's cheap in other areas. So, you know, without a cap, you know, he's been known, uh, I think on the NHL side, maybe the NBA side as well as be one of the harder, you know, harder line owners when it comes to dealing with the players union and trying to extract more gains out of them in the cap. So, you know, there's an easy argument to say, Oh, he, he'll, he just wouldn't spend money. I think the issue for him would be that considering how tied in he is to every other team, if you make moves that piss fans off of one team, you know, that could really hurt you on every other team as well. Yeah. Uh, that could really snowball. You know, if you're really angering Nats fans, you know, maybe they don't buy their Caps tickets anymore. Maybe they don't buy Mystics, Wizards tickets. You know, they don't. You know, they get rid of their cable package and aren't people aren't paying for NBC Washington because that's the other issue is now he owns NBC as in Washington. Mm, okay. You know, you're not as you know, the positive is that all the money comes to you in terms of the rights fees. The negative is you're not in a deal where if people aren't subscribing, you're still getting paid whatever you had agreed to with the network and you know the network is the one who gets to deal with the fact that they're losing huge amounts of money because they made made a bad agreement. Mm-hmm. In this case, you know, you might have rights fees that are still getting paid to move money around, but it's all owned by you. So if people aren't subscribing to cable and NBC Washington is getting way less money, you know, from that and from advertisers, you know, he's the one losing the money still. Right. <laughs> so yeah, that could really hurt him. You know, and he also has his monumental products as well. So it'd be easy for people if they wanted to start, you know, if you're boy, yeah, a lot of people don't like Dan Snyder. They try to boycott the commanders and not follow them. 
it's still not that hard because Snyder, that's the only way that you can kind of get at him. He's not exposed in a lot of other ways. He has huge amounts of money. Uh, he's fine. Leonsis does not have huge amounts of cash reserves. Uh, he will have another investor, likely, with the Nationals uh, and David Rubenstein. But you could definitely see a scenario where if the Nats aren't going a direction people like and they start trying to boycott these other businesses in D.C., he could start losing money quickly uh, and be much more incentivized to start uh, pleasing the fan. So we'll see. Okay, That's definitely the optimistic view of it. <laughs> Let's see. Looking around other news around the Nationals, uh, one Kurt Suzuki is set to retire after the season. Not not shocking in the least. Um, yeah. But, you know, happy for him to go out on his terms. Uh, Good catcher. Another guy that was fun to kind of randomly have back on the 2019 team from a previous playoff run. Yeah. Uh, so it, it was kind of funny. They had uh, him and Zim from the 2012 playoff team, and then Strasburg and Zim, and, you know, as Drupal Cabrera came back from the 2014 team, uh, back on the 2019 team. Uh, less fun visit to the White House, but <laughs> don't have to get into that again. Everybody knows. Uh, not surprisingly, Kay Cavalli unlikely to pitch again this season. Uh, they're going to treat him with kid gloves mm-hmm. every step of the way, which completely makes sense. There's no reason to bring him back. No. Uh, but I think I saw Mackenzie Gore might is doing rehab starts uh, and might have a chance to make like one start before the I, end of the year. I certainly wouldn't like if it fits in his schedule to do that. Yeah. It's, I don't think it's a bad thing to have him come back and, you know, get yep. a couple innings under his belt. Yeah. Um, but again, it's not unless he's 1,000% good to go. Was it at like GCL or something? Because all, all the other orgs are like in the playoffs, I think, right? I might yeah, be that is a good maybe, question. I don't like know where he's pitching yeah. uh, right now. And it is, <clears throat> I don't know if we'll be able to see looking up this way. He did it for Rochester hmm. yesterday. Yeah, so I guess they still Rochester's still playing, because um, I don't think Rochester's in the playoffs, aren't they? Yeah, <laughs> I was like, I don't think Rochester's in the playoffs. Weren't they bad? And then I look up at this player news for Mackenzie Gore, and it says uh, September sixteenth game preview. Rochester Red Wings look to win their first series since June. So that answers <laughs> that question. So you can't so I, get to the playoffs like that. Okay, got no, it. No, yes, I think the AAA season went a little longer. I think it was uh, already scheduled to be a little bit longer. They had been like when they did that consolidation in the minors. Uh, I think they had extended the AAA season a little bit since they were reducing the number of forty-man call-ups. Uh, but then I think it is even further into the year this year uh, because of the lockout, yeah. and the late start. Yeah, they're going uh, to the twenty-eighth. What like. I'm reading here is he's going to do at least one more with AAA, um, and they're hoping that he can come back to make one or two starts. Yeah, because that would line him up basically for that Phillies series, the final home weekend of the season. So like we said with CJ Abrams, they would definitely be very happy to get one, another piece of their return for one Soto in front of the fans at least one time so they can be less angry. And speaking of the minors, the Nets just fired uh, their 
double A manager, Trip Keister, who'd been there for a long time. Long time. Yeah, I think yeah, 11, 11 years. 11 years, yeah. Seems and, to have ruffled some feathers. Yeah, there were some people pissed off. Yeah. Well, I mean, they've been bad for 11 yeah. years. So it's true. I mean, and I'm they, sure he's a very nice guy, but. Yeah. And I was skimming the article that was talking about that. They. I mean, they're going through a transition on that side anyways. They they have a new uh, player development guy that was hired like last year. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, John I mean, Watson. You have to figure that's going to be the case kind of up and down the organization is he's going to slowly bring his guys in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's no use in using the other people's guys that obviously didn't get the job done. Yeah, and I mean, honestly, like the system has not been very good at developing players for quite a long time at this point. So I don't think anybody should feel safe about their jobs. And, you know, while wins and losses aren't really something you should ever judge a minor league manager by, uh, he should either be winning or losing or winning more than losing or developing guys if he's not doing either. Yeah, well, and I mean, like, it's not just like, oh, they can't develop pitchers or they're not developing infielders. They're not developing anyone Yeah, (laughs) outside of your top tier prospects that have come through. There are very, very few individuals who come through the organization that were made by this organization and succeed in the major leagues. Yeah. Besides the guys who can kind of, like you said, kind of do it for themselves. Yeah. Right. Yeah, like they weren't going to screw up Bryce Harper coming through the organization. Hopefully not. (laughs) That would be pretty bad. (laughs) All right. So with the roster that is currently in front of you, who of those guys are on the major league roster? Who's your starting nine? Starting, yeah, starting nine for next year. Uh, Abrams and Garcia. Easy. Uh, yeah, Rui, Caper Rui. Ideal, or who who do we think it's really going to be? Who do we think it's going to be? And honestly, with you starting with Abrams, yeah. do you think he's on the Major League roster come opening day? Yes. Yeah, I mean, I, I, he, almost certainly. I mean, we talked about it being surprised, but that it, I think at this point, the, they've popped the seal. He's been up for too long. Yeah. Um, I think they kind of have to keep him going. Uh, so, I mean, I would say, and especially, you know, keep him working with Luis Garcia in the middle infield, at least on the defensive side. Uh, so, I mean, I think Ruiz, Abrams, Garcia, Voight are pretty much your guarantees because I think Voight is one of those guys who's much more of a midseason trade than uh, an offseason trade. Yeah. So I don't see him leaving. Uh, well, he could be a non-tender candidate, to be honest. He could be, but I don't think he's going to get that much in salary arbitration that he's, he's worth just keeping around to see if you can trade him again next off next, you know, next trade deadline. He could get the Adam Lynn special The we're going to non-tender you and bring you back for like 1 million less than what your uh, arb salary would have been or like the Jan Gomes like yeah, uh, option here. Possible, but unlikely since both of those were for to come back to a team that was good. True. Um, I think if you non-tender Luke Foyt, he just ends up somewhere else. Yeah, mm-hmm. somebody good. Uh, so I, I think those you, you got those four 
Uh, I think Joey Manessis at this point has played well enough for long enough. You know, with this, you know, almost 180 plate appearances and is still hitting very well. I don't think anybody thinks he's going to keep doing this forever, but at this point, he's earned being on a roster that you're not going to spend a lot of money on. Uh, and you don't have anybody. There are no first base prospects. You know, Voight is the only guy who would be a DH. They don't really have anybody as a right field prospect right now, unless um, Wood or Hassel suddenly accelerate very quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in that case, you know, you're not going to start the season with either Wood or Hassel. They, it would be like by May, they were just doing so awesomely that, all right, Manessas, get off the field. We're going to put in a real prospect now. Uh, I think you keep him up and see if you have Michael Morse too. Um, from there, it gets tricky because then you're really looking at uh, probably Lane Thomas. He's hitting well enough that they'll put him in the lineup somewhere. And then Victor Robles and Carter Keyboom, uh, whether it's worth running another going, you know, another go around with them. They don't really have anybody else in those spots. I don't think you go with someone like Ildaramo Vargas. Uh, he's like 31 and he's not, he's hitting well, but it's not like Joey Manessa's level. Uh, that's like, oh, let's just see if this is randomly good. Um, so I could see trying to get Keyboom, who's only 25. Uh, one more shot that like they were going to try to do this year uh, and see if it works out. And, uh, Robles plays good enough defense that he doesn't really have to hit that well. He's still not hitting well enough to be justifiable, uh, which is what's really disappointing. It's like the bar is so low and he is still limboing his way underneath it. But what's the uh, what's the WRC plus you're looking at for Victor Robles? Eighty five. That's higher than I expected it to be. Eighty. Yeah, maybe even eighty. I'd yeah. say like eighty, eighty five. Um. Yeah, it doesn't have to be that high. Yeah, yeah, he's 67 at 67 right enough. now. Ooh. After going 60, 68 and 66 the last two years. Yikes. Right. Yeah, I mean, Cabo Ruiz is like 90, um, which I'd say is probably the minimum he can be at, uh, you know, as a catcher. Um, but, I mean, you center fielders traditionally haven't hit quite as well, but they do still hit. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh, and and more and more, or there's more and more prospects coming out, like um, Rodriguez for the I can't remember what his first name is for the Mariners. Julio. Julio. Mm-hmm. I knew it wasn't Jose, and that was all I could think of. <laughs> um, yeah, Julio Rodriguez and his other guys. Uh, the guy for the Braves, um, Michael Harris. Michael Harris. Thank you. That are coming up and being good center fielders defensively, who also can hit. So. You know, it's not really like we saw with shortstop a few you know, ten years ago. It's getting to the point where you're not really playing just a defensive guy who can't hit. You want them to be able to hit a little bit. So, and they're they're available. Guys who play good center field defense and can hit are very available. So, you know, it, it's, it's a question whether you really want to go another round with this or not. So, you know, Einstein's definition of insanity, like you said, TJ, this is now three <laughs> years in a row with a 66, 68, and a 67 WRC plus. I think we know what he's capable of. Yeah, we, th- we think we know what Victor Robles is. At least he has positive uh, F4 this year as opposed to the last two years. So, But 
That is true. Uh, that's nice. But I was going to say, let me pull up Michael A. Taylor because I feel like he had a similar trajectory where like, we were thinking, like, I guess, you know, at this point, he had that good first year. Yeah, because Michael A. Taylor at the 20, 2017 at a 104. We're like, okay, we we're always hoping to see that 104 again with his defense. And then 71, 74, 76, 76 last year with the Royals. So it's like, okay, I think we know what Michael A. Taylor is. And then this year with the Royals, he has a 96 WRC plus. <laughs> so, you know, sometimes people can surprise you. Uh, but I think for the most part, like in that case, I think we know what we have with Robles here. And that's a worse hitter than Michael A. Taylor was. So that really makes you want to, you know, and I don't, he's a very good defensive player, but I don't know if he's really that, he's really a better defensive center fielder than Michael A. Taylor was. So, yeah. If that wasn't your answer then, and Michael A. never was beyond 20, you know, the beginning of 2018, uh, he never really was the answer, the starter in center field. There was always somebody supposed to be there ahead of him and he was just filling in. Uh, I, I don't really see why Robles, you know, age is pretty much the only reason you would keep giving Robles a shot. Because he has that I used to be a top prospect shine to him. That is he is the type too. of player that a team like the Nationals should be giving shots to just because, you know, why not? But yeah. usually you do it with somebody else's failed former prospects, not your own. That is true. He is the number f- he was the number five overall prospect entering twenty nineteen. Yeah. I mean that's that's the difference between those two. Yeah, that's fair. So we shall 65 see. future value. Mm. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Oof. Yikes. 65 hit. He are, now future 65 hit already was at a 60, allegedly, in 2019. Which, I mean, I guess he had a 92 WRC plus. But, nope. Let's see. Um... He didn't even really hit that well in the minors in 2018. I think he was hurt a lot of that year. Yeah. He was. He had, I think that was the year that he like injured his forearm or something, diving mm-hmm. for a baseball or like his wrist. Then he like dove for it and like bent underneath his body. And he was like out for like a couple months, I think, in 2018. Because originally he was. We thought he was going to come up yeah. that year, mm-hmm. and then he got injured, and then Soto ended up coming up and doing amazingly. Um, I think that was every position I named there. So, yeah, I guess for now I'd be putting penciling in Robles and Keyboom again, but uh, you could very easily talk me into doing something else. Just Please wait talk and- into doing anything else. Anything else. <laughs> We'll just have to wait until our off-season podcast where we wish for free agents to sign here. James' yeah. uh, simulator tool is going to be real fun this year. Yeah, <laughs> I've been debating. I'll have to ask people whether they really want it this year or not. I want to well, see it. Like, is it is it worth to see it and then just be like, yeah, but they're not going to do any of that. So, sucks yeah. to suck. Or, yeah. You know, and even then, like, who, if we do it, who gets locked in? Like, Kaber Ruiz, and that's it. Patrick that's, Corbin. That's, that's pretty much the problem is, yeah, you got those two. Luis, maybe Luis Garcia at second base, you can lock him in. 
I mean, I think your middle infield is yeah. more or less locked in. That's true. But I mean, it would be an interesting question of it would be weird if you signed Trey Turner and then traded Abrams again to try to get a different prospect group back, like get like a, a more power hitter corner guy or something. I mean, the thing um, is, if you were going to try that, you immediately flip CJ Abrams. Yeah. With how well he did not perform in yeah. San Diego. That's like, true. You immediately flip him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's another, they've put even more traction on those tires of not good. Yeah. I mean, again, he's 21. I'm sure you could find a buyer, but you're not going to get what you would have gotten two months ago. True. You could always put him at second, put Luis Garcia third. Garcia could have the bat for third. That's fine. He couldn't be any worse than Kiboom. You know what? That's a, that's how about, a proven how about, fact. How about we don't put those words out in the universe at all? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh. Let's see. I'm looking through the rest of the news for the Nats here. Um, and it didn't take me long to get to Edwin Jackson announces retirement. Oh. When was the last time that Edwin Jackson played? Keep playing. 2019? Uh, Apparently 2019. I think too. Yeah. yeah, I think 2019. Okay. So it only took him another three years <laughs> after the fact to realize well, that he opted he was- out in 2020 and then, you know, didn't happen to make it 2021 and then now has decided to retire. He's only 39. It's not like he's. He's three years younger than Nelson Cruz. Did he play for half of the teams in baseball? Did he make it to 15? No, I think he only did 14. 14. But he did the Nats <sighs> twice, the Tigers twice, the Diamondbacks twice. Surprisingly, the Nats were the first one that he played for twice. Interesting. Yep. I remember that when he came back. Oh, and wasn't I think really, he wasn't really pitched, that good. He pitched in the Olympics, I think, too. I do recall that. Yeah. In 21. Yeah. Yeah. He appeared in one game. Nice. Wait, no. I might be reading the wrong thing. <laughs> truly absurd career. Uh, the Nationals designated Jake McGee for assignment because he was too bad for this bad team. That was so weird Like to claim him, have to pay him like more than league minimum he didn't have any control at you know he wasn't tradable and he wasn't good he was also I like guess. 35 or something it's 30 yeah it's like 36 old. he was like were, way older than you would have thought too they were hoping for the brad hand special where he sucks for a while and then he turns around and is like oh wait i'm good yeah and then they can kick him along but but like he wasn't under He's not under control for next year. So, like, for a non-contending team, like, what's the point? Then I have no fucking idea. Yeah, why not go for, like, Franmil Reyes? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, that, that's the main thing, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I, I think they had first pick on anybody since it's now not by league. It's yeah. overall. Yeah. So, I, mean, I can't believe they would have chosen Jake McGee over a guy. Or Alex Hall. I don't think either of those. You know, over a guy who had 131, 112, 116, 128 OPS pluses in his 22, 23, 24, and 25 seasons, and then 25-year-old seasons, and then this year happened to have a bad year and was only had an 82 OPS plus. 
because uh, he's not his batting average is down, walks are down a little bit, powers down a little bit. It's okay. He'll get non-tendered, and then he'll be on the team next year. That's always a possibility. Yeah, I mean, he has a 98 OPS plus with the Cubs in 149 play appearances. So, might have been useful. Only 26. Not a 36-year-old reliever who sucks. <laughs> or a 28-year-old career minor league outfielder. No. Not the best career... Not third, almost 30-year-old third, career minor league outfielder of all time. Joey Manessas. <laughs> uh, is Joey Manessas the greatest Nationals hitter of all time? Manessas to society. <laughs> no, he's second behind Rick Short. <laughs> or who's who's the obscure reliever that's... There's one reliever that I think has a 1,000 career uh, OPS for the Nats. Because um, I think he like walked one time. I want to say it may be Sean Burnett. Uh, it sounds vaguely familiar. Let's yeah. see if I can pull it up somehow. We're so good at keeping the audio riveting. I know. Uh, the problem is, <laughs> I gotta look at the standard. Is that OPS is not one of the ones on Fangraphs that you can look at automatically? Uh, it could have been Sean Burnett. You want to speculate on other random pitchers on the Nationals that it could be? So they have, yeah, here we go. Um, guy named Travis Hughes. He was early 2005, 2006-ish. Has one plate appearance for the Nats with a 2000 OPS. Oh. So I don't have split seasons on. So right now it's combined, but it is still a fun list with them combined. I can split the seasons out later. Oh, Oliver, Oliver Perez? Oliver Perez is number two, <laughs> tied with Cat Litos at 1667. Uh, Which is Jackson, about what people hit off of Matt Latos when he was with the Nats. Jackson Reitz, our first non-pitcher. Uh, it's a catcher who had two plate appearances, 1500. Uh, Manuel Burris, second baseman, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 1467, and then Rick Short. 1404 and then Sean Burnett 1250 as, as Sean was looking for there. Um, so in one season, so that, well, that was for their John year Burnett. with the nationals from 2005, 2012, 2022. So you have the one season, the one season, Sean Burnett, 2011 had a hit and a walk in two. Wow. Nice. Wow. Pretty sweet. Yeah. But I see that the number one OPS, for one single season is Tyler Clippard, uh, Travis Hughes, Tyler Clippard, 2008, Travis Hughes, 2006, Zach Duke, 2013, and Sean Burnett, 2011, all 2000 OPS. But Sean Burnett's the only one of those with two plate appearances. So, you know, that's a pretty good accomplishment <laughs> for him. Man, Zach Duke is somebody I completely forgot existed. No kidding. Yeah, and he was on one of the, the allegedly goodish teams. Yeah. Well, he was so bad for the Nats uh, in 2013. Yeah. And then, like, after he left the Nats, went on to pitch, like, another, like, six years and was good for most of them. That is bizarre. True. That is absolutely correct. That is ridiculous. He pitched um, yeah, well, the same period as Edwin Jackson. <laughs> yep. Well, Usmero Petit also was in that group with Zach Duke, uh, 
where he crushed them in the playoffs in 2014. They signed him to the 2015 team, and he sucked <laughs> the Nats in 2015, and then was like good for the next Five six years. years. He yeah. played until 2021. Five years, yeah, doing that math. I mean, that's just absurd. Yeah. Because he was terrible with us and then had a two war. He was worth two wins above replacement as a mostly relief, all but one game relief pitcher for the Angels in 2017. Two win reliever. At Get out of here. It's just disrespectful. <laughs> Although I was wrong, he was on the 2016 Nats, not the 2015 Nats, which is fascinating. I could have sworn he was on the Nats the year after the 2014 Division Series. That's like Hector Carrasco in 2005 with the Nats, where he just like came out of nowhere for. It looks like now it was only 1.3 WAR, but you know, pitching pretty much every game out of the pen and pitched really well. And then I think they got like a comp pick for him, and then he. Went and just imploded afterwards. Nice. Yasmer Petit had a four and a half ERA with the Nats, and then the next five years threw a two nine nine ERA. <laughs> <laughs> Disrespectful. <laughs> Unnecessary. Well, this has been remember some guys with the Nationals. One day we'll remember these guys, or hopefully we'll just forget them. It'll just be Joe. Oh, we'll never forget Joey Manessas. Oh, yeah, no, of course not. I mean, he had it. I, I was there for Joey's first career home run, which also I believe was his first career major league hit. Um, and I also was there for his first career inside the park home run. Nice. So it was pretty sweet. We were, I don't know what we were doing, but Lauren was like, oh, Somebody hit it inside the park home run. They were playing Miami. I was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. Yeah. And then I went and pulled up the video. I'm like, wait, what the fuck? That's our park. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what did you do? <laughs> yeah, it was it was a really weird play. Um with basically he hit it to like that part in center field right before the out-of-town scoreboard. The center fielder did what the center fielder should do, which is tried to catch it, uh, and did not. And it kind of hit off of him, hit off the wall, then hit off him. So it went sideways along the scoreboard Can and then I the ask, right fielder yeah where did the right fielder go so that ball what, just kept rolling to right field and yeah. there was no one there so what had happened is the right fielder had ran to try to back up the center fielder with like a straight line from the center fielder towards home plate uh and so obviously one was running the wrong way because the ball kind of bounced weirdly and went back along the out-of-town scoreboard and then when he tried to like stop and plant and turn, basically tore up the grass and fell. <laughs> <laughs> and so by the time he was able to get back up and run all the way to the track, the center fielder had managed to also get up and run down to the ball. Uh, but that was, you know, both of them were severely delayed in trying to go get the baseball as it was actively rolling away from them, uh, which was enough time. And I think the funny thing is, I don't think Joey saw. I think he saw it like, you know, he's rounding first. I think he saw the center fielder not catch it and was going towards second. I don't think he saw this, the right fielder fall. So I don't know if he knew until he was starting to get to rounding second. I could see the base coach still waving him and the crowd was starting to really like, because all everybody, all the fans had seen mm-hmm. that the right fielder had fallen and that like nobody was near this ball whatsoever. And he was already rounding second. And so it was starting to like get really loud and kind of swell. So you could definitely tell he's like, 
I guess I just got to start sprinting and it just like <laughs> put it into another gear. It was really ridiculous. I mean, it was really funny. Like the third base coach definitely seemed reluctant at first to be like sending him. He was giving a very slow wave along. Um, he's like, I don't know if this is the right choice. You're Joey Manessis. And this is going for an inside the park home run. That can't be right. Um, and everybody was just, but everybody was like yelling at him to do it. And it was very funny. Uh, seeing him just like killing himself, trying to sprint fast enough to actually make it. I just, I just remember watching the video and they have a close up of the center fielder kind of chasing the ball. Yeah. And I don't even know how to explain it. It was like, he was like, chasing an animal or something and didn't was thought it was going to like cut a different way because yeah. he would just cut he wasn't running he was like he was wide leg kind of stomping clearly, over to it clearly <laughs> scarred by the way it bounced off of him at the wall like oh this ball has, has it out for me this is like one of those angels in the outfield balls that's gonna keep trying to attack me when i get close to it i've watched the video like four times while you guys have been talking about it and it's been Exactly as you've described every time. I see, I see it in a new light each time. And the best thing is that he missed like an actual home run by like a foot. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, so that was. It wasn't like a cheap one. That was kind of my experience watching it is like he hit it. And from my perspective, I was like, I think he hit it too high. I don't think that's going to get out. But like other people were already kind of like cheering, like, come on, get out, get out. And I was like, I don't know about this one. And then he misses it. I'm like, all right, he missed it. Great. We got a double. And then, like, suddenly notice that, like, no fielders are near the ball at all. And he's already getting a second and being like, oh, go! (laughs) Do it! (laughs) Sprint! Um, It's definitely the close I had felt since uh, to that one Soto wildcard game hit when it goes past Grisham and all of a sudden you're just, like, screaming, like, run! Go! You can do it! And then the funny thing is then later in the game, I got even closer on uh, C.J. Abrams' think they technically still called it a triple uh where the mm-hmm. right fielder literally just pulled a grisham where he just ran wrote a uh, ran up and just dove at the ball and completely missed it and it went behind him and abrams got the third uh and they scored two more runs that was pretty fun speaking right. of that grisham hit did i ever tell you guys about that what so i was on my honeymoon and we're watching it there in the room and lauren is passed out at this point yeah and then that happens and i get up and start screaming scared the absolute shit out of her (laughs) (laughs) she's like what what (laughs) it's amazing it's it's a playoff game you wouldn't understand (laughs) sorry Uh, well, right, the Mets are back in the playoffs, though, now. They That's are true. indeed. For the first time since 2016, the 2022 Mets are in the playoffs, is what their broadcaster said. And they're supposed to be the best in the business. And that, <laughs> I don't think the 2022 Mets made it to the 2016 playoffs. No, I don't think no, a lot of them. Not all of them. Uh-uh. All right. I see here there have been eight inside the park home runs in Nats history. Yes. Can we name. Can we name who they belong to? Ooh, I have a list. The, I've seen this list. I, I saw this list like the day after. And now I'm trying to see if I can actually remember. Surprisingly, all but two have been after 20, so, 2016 and later. Yeah. So I know the first one was Austin Kearns. Yep. And then I know Michael A. Taylor had one, I believe, in 2017. Yep. 
because uh, it was in. I think that one was inside of a park grand slam, which was truly absurd. I put uh, money on Trey Turner. Yes, he had one in 2020. In 2020, yeah, they had another one in 2020 though, um, which I can't remember who it was. It was somebody weird. I feel like. That it, oh, who else was on that team? That'd be fast. So I don't think Robles has one. Um, so Starling Castro. It's someone that, was, that you'll be like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I could see him having one, but. I didn't remember him having one either. Everyday starter? No. Someone who you'll have to remember first, and then you'll be like, oh, okay, yeah, I could see it. Uh, who else was on the 2020 I just need to look at that roster. Still with the org, just not on the team. Adrian Sanchez? Um, who's still with the org? 2020 Nats roster. Oh, Andrew Stevenson. Andy Steves. Mm. There you go. All right. So we got Andy Steves. We got Trey. We it's pretty got... amazing. Andy Steves didn't get called up at all this year. Yeah. Well, especially yeah, considering the crap they've rolled out there and he's actually hit pretty well. I believe. Right. Yeah. Like I don't, I, I think a lot of people got a little too excited on him early last oh, yeah. year. Uh, and I don't agree with that, but uh, it is, is wild now that we're here at the end of the year and we haven't seen him at all. Yeah. It is an interesting choice. Um, and we're talking but, eight with oh, Manessas. Yeah. So there's we got five yeah, already. Manessa, yeah. Yeah. So there's three we're missing. One in 2010. 2010. Anderson Hernandez. Christian Guzman. No, I think Guzman was already traded yeah. by then. Elijah Dukes. It's someone who who you will again be like, yeah, I could see it. Like Niger Morgan. Yeah, that's where I was gonna go. He only gave up one. He never got one yeah, on his own. True. Yeah. Um, they're saying who who was fast on the twenty. Lasting Smillage, Justin Maxwell. Uh, think think like a little bit before. I mean, it may have been at the same time as like Dukes and Millage, but or a little more. Was it Roger Bernardina? No, it was not Roger <laughs> Bernardina. Interesting. Who else was there? Is it outfielder or infielder? Uh, utility man. Oh, Willie Harris. Yep, Willie Harris. Ah. Early Willie Harris. All right, Bane of the New York Mets. Yeah, exactly. Two more, both 2016. Uh, Both 2016. One should be relatively easy, given his stature with the organization. Oh, of course, Oliver Perez. (laughs) No, he only had that double (laughs) best hitter. The bunk, that bunk was double. in 2016, though. It was a bunk yeah. double. That was uh, glorious. Ryan Zimmerman? Yeah, Ryan Zimmerman apparently had one in 2016 in your I last don't one. I not remember that happening at they all. They had two in two weeks in 2016, apparently. That's incredible. Brown, last um, one, a true Nationals legend. 2016. Uh, Steve Lombardosi. Nope. Um, Jeff Coburnus. Wilmer Defoe. <laughs> Wilmer Defoe is a good one. Um, was it fucking Stephen Drew? Danny it was Stephen Drew. Oh, Stephen Drew. <laughs> <laughs> the one game he played for the organization. <laughs> Stephen played a few games. He played in 116 games over two seasons. Yeah, it's not like Nate McClough. True. You never appeared. <laughs> or when he did, you wish he never did. 
that that's a solid list right there. A lot, a couple all-time great nationals: Michael A. Taylor, Ryan Zimmerman, Trey Turner, Joey Manessis, Stephen Drew, Stephen Drew. Also, I mean, also because almost all of these guys are you know just clear nationals legends. Um, it's a pretty great list. This is a good game. Just wait till Old Amerigo Vargas, Vargas gets one and adds himself to the list. I'll be excited for Ilderama Vargas when his hat gets changed to a Nationals picture. <laughs> the funnier one is, I don't even know what, is in, what hat Joey Manessis is wearing here on Baseball Reference. It's that giant P with what looks to be like a bulldog in it. Portland Sea Dogs. Oh. Who is... He played for in 2021. Yeah, there's like four other teams listed, three other teams listed, and his yeah. since he played in Portland. Yeah, because he was that's their double A team. So he spent a lot of the time last year in double A. He wasn't even triple A for most of the year. Yep, Culiacan, the Mexican league, and then played for Mexico in the Caribbean series. Oh, so I guess technically that's not a real team. Um, and then Rochester. Well, tell that to Mexico, James. Jeez. no but it's not it wasn't like another minor league season or anything it was just like he was playing for like a national team in the caribbean series mexican pacific winter league oh so i guess that makes sense so portland was you know you'd think you'd have a rochester picture of them though all right I'm now going to turn to the segment of the show where we start looking at what's happening around the league. <laughs> Nothing. The Giants designated Lewis Brinson for assignment. Hmm. Not interesting. Uh, Mets clinched a playoff berth. Not interesting. Atlanta clinched a playoff berth. Unsubscribe. Yeah, what, what, uh, what spots are still up for grabs? Uh, so the NL central AL central and AL East divisions are still up. The West divisions are both settled. Um, and the NL East is almost assuredly either going to be Atlanta or the Mets. I think technically, uh, technically Philadelphia is not yet eliminated, uh, but the magic number for the division is one. One. Yeah. Um, so they are pretty much only going for a wild card. So uh, the NL East is kind of, is settled and not settled in the same way. Um, from there, uh, Yankees are almost assuredly going to the playoffs. Uh, the Atlanta and the you know, Atlanta Mets are already clinched. St. Louis is eight and a half up, so they seem pretty solid in the AL Central. The Padres are six game clear of the Brewers, so that's starting to get close to being pretty. Pretty uh, cinched for them, uh, but not entirely. Uh, so that that second and third wild card in the NL are still up for grabs between San Diego, Philadelphia, Milwaukee, and that's it. The Giants have very little shot of getting back into it at this point. Nine and a half back. Um, and then the AL is a lot more interesting, but kind of in a weird way, because it's basically the, they have a bunch of teams from the AL East all trying to both compete for the division title and a playoff spot. 
by this point, the Yankees have finally pulled their head out of their ass and are winning just enough games that they're probably going to keep the division. But they did really make it interesting there for a while. It was mm-hmm. an interesting choice on their part. Um, and then the AL Central, Cleveland only has a five-game lead on Chicago, eight games on the Twins, but has really been playing hot and the other teams have not. So it's looking more and more likely that Cleveland will be able to take the AL Central and they'll be the only team out of that division getting a playoff spot uh, since they are they would be barely in a wild card spot if they were not winning their division right now. Jeez. So, and they would actually, I think they would take, if somebody had a better record than they have right now in the AL central, Cleveland would not even be in a wild card spot. So yeah, uh, they are, you know, that is division only Cleveland's looking good. Uh, and now the, what looked like was going to be a really interesting wild card race has kind of gotten pretty boring because Seattle's now five game clear of Baltimore, the White Sox, eight and a half clear of Minnesota, nine games clear of the Red Sox. So I think in August, it looked like it was going to be truly absurd. And now it's just kind of boring. Everybody's kind of locking into place for the most part. Mm -hmm. Do we think uh, Atlanta and New York are going to settle the division? when they play here in the next couple of days, or do you think it's actually going to come down to the end of the season? I think it'll come down to the end of the season. Um, I would be surprised if one of them took enough of that series to make it not worth it. I mean, there's only one game apart. They've been hanging together one game apart for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I think it would come down to the wire. Cause they also have a lot to play with the way that they changed the wildcard series. Uh, it's now definitely worth it to get into the division title because because the NL Central is you know eight games behind uh, yeah the St. Louis is six and a half games behind Atlanta seven and a half games behind the Mets so they're almost whoever wins the NL East is almost assuredly going to be a buy into the divisional series and not have to play these new wild card series uh, the other one it will be a wildcard team. So we'll have to play that series. So that'll be a pretty big advantage. Yeah. Um, so I think they will definitely be competing. I don't think either will start resting people. And if uh, the Mets want to, or if the Braves want to win it, they better win it because the Mets end the season with the nationals. Yeah. So, so that'll, that'll be a big boon unless the Nats really pick it. You know, Joey Manassas could just crush them. <laughs> That's just true. Keeps ripping home runs. Well, and if there's anybody that could use that buy, it's New York. You talk about yeah. some of their pitchers that they've had go on and off the IL rest the last. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, <laughs> they, they have amazing pitchers who also have gotten, get injured a lot. At least the last, for Scherzer, the last couple of years, Scherzer before that was pretty steady. But the last few years has been getting, you know, has had a regularly scheduled injury. Uh, DeGrom, Everybody knows the issues he's had. Uh, Carrasco has also had you know plenty of injury problems. Tyler McGill was out for so long that they've just moved him to the bullpen instead. Uh, and I think they have like one other. Did you say good, Bassett? Bassett. That, mm, that's Bassett. It, yeah. He's never um, gone above. He's already at his career high in innings pitched by yeah. fourteen innings now. So it would definitely behoove them to have those guys pitch as few games as possible to get to a World Series and win a World Series if they want to. Mm-hmm. Um, 
yeah, that's up to them. <laughs> them I hope they don't. I uh, hope they don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe they don't. Uh, but yeah, it, it would definitely, like you said, TJ, they, they're one of the ones, I think, with the most risky pitching staff in, you know, who's in a playoff spot right now, uh, that, that they would definitely be benefiting from not pitching them that much. Because if they lose those guys, they have a decent bullpen, um, but they don't necessarily have, you know, you don't necessarily want to be trying to throw bullpen da- games, like two or three games in a series. Uh, and they have they have guys like I said, Tyler McGill, who have been starters. You know, Seth Lugo started you know a while ago. So they have guys in their bullpen who can kind of go long, but they're not necessarily built up. Taiwan Walker is he injured? That was I don't think guy. so. I forgot. Yeah, so they have Walker. Um, yeah, so they have a good amount of guys who can kind of go long in the bullpen. Trevor Williams, Tyler McGill, Seth Lugo, but that's you know that's different two or three innings at the end of a game is very different than trying to start and try to pull out four or five from them. True. They also have the, who's the guy that's been filling in a bunch? Peterson. Peterson. Yeah. Um, it's been okay, but you know, not necessarily a, a league average ERA plus. So, you know, in a regular season, not necessarily somebody you want to be pulling out in a postseason game either. It's fair. <clears throat> All right. What else have we got here? Did Aaron Judge hit 61 yet? He hit his 61st double, yes. Oh, you mean home runs? <laughs> uh, no, I don't believe he's hit his 61st home run. Let me I've double check, though. Not gotten an alert, I don't believe, so far while we've been recording. So, I mean, that'll be cool. Set the AL record for home runs. He did. Uh, if he does get one more soon, he will have done it in under 154 games. So that'll be the last little. Because right now the Yankees have only played 147. Mm, okay. So he gets seven games. They hit 61, which will then mean that Ruth has fully and officially been passed uh, in terms of nobody can be like asterisking things yeah. along those lines. They'll be uh, like, well, Judge is too big. Yeah, it's not fair. Too Maybe tall. Can never grow too to be tall. that tall. Aaron, too tall judge. Uh, I will say this is funny. I checked my alerts to see if he'd hit sixty-one. Uh, I did get an alert that Buck Showalter asked for the hit by pitch ball that let them break the MOB record for most time hits nice. in a season. <laughs> oh, it's just so weird how how many times he's getting mad about it. It's like your guys are standing over the plate. Yeah. That's like having Don Baylor on your team and just being like, why the hell do we keep getting hit so much? Yeah. It's like, I don't know. Ask the guy who's intentionally getting hit as many times as he possibly can. Yeah. I really got to try to get Victor Robles on the Mets for next year. <laughs> oh, man. It's really just destroy that record. Maybe that's their way of being of, of not getting like called out for it by the league. They're like, oh, if we get mad at it and pretend like we're not trying to get hit, then we'll, we'll they'll let it slide. Well, they they got mad early in the season, and I mm-hmm. wonder if the league said something to them about it because they definitely like he Buck still makes like the faces because the SNY broadcast likes making fun of him mm-hmm. um, and doing the Kill Bill 
thing every time somebody gets hit. Uh, well, they did get hit in the head a bunch to be, or Alonzo really, hit the head like, twice to, in the beginning of the year. So I think that yeah. they're big mad at. But now they're just getting mad at every hit by pitch. Yeah. So, but they're not like now he's just kind of getting mad in the dugout and like pacing around. But they're not like coming out or like hitting people in retaliation. So, I assume early in the season somebody was like, "You cannot stand over the plate." And then start retaliating because people happen to hit you. <laughs> yeah, that's not a thing. <laughs> All right. What else do we want to cover? I don't want to go too far because I don't want to. Uh, I mean, the other thing that stuff. definitely worth mentioning is the Seattle Mariners are probably going to make a playoff. You know going to earn one of these wildcard spots. I'm not going to be too definite because uh, the Astros have a division, so the Mariners have to get one of these three wildcard spots. How they close were they last year? They were one game away last year. If the Nats had managed to beat the Red Sox that Sunday mm-hmm. and the Mariners had won, uh, I think they would have ended up tied. And they were still they were still doing tiebreakers even for wildcard games that year. Let's see. Um, you can double check that, but I believe that was the case. No, I'm curious if they ever like were in the spot and then how far ahead were they? No, Is they, five games no point, good. Yeah, no, no, no. At no <laughs> point were they in this spot. They were catching up to the to the okay. Sox the whole not the whole September. Got it. Well, I mean okay. they're being chased by the Orioles who have a extremely tough rest of the season schedule and the White Sox who are managed by well they're not even managed by Larusa anymore because he's he's on the IL but yeah underperforming like crazy so it would be hard for them to not make it but stranger things have happened it's on this day in 2021 the Mariners were well behind they were four and a half games behind Boston and but Boston wasn't the second wild card at that point. The Red Sox really blew it. Uh Rays, five, five, three, four, five, Toronto. Mm. Yeah, they were only three games. They were three games behind Toronto for the second wild card. And the Mariners had two other teams. The Yankees and the A's were both ahead of them at that point on this yeah. date. So they were <laughs> very not in a position to make the playoffs and got sort of close at the last second. This year, they're in a pretty decent spot. Everybody else is five games behind them, but they are in the last wildcard spot. They're half games behind the Rays, two and a half behind the uh, Blue Jays for a better wildcard spot. Can't win their division. It's already been won by the Astros. So uh, I think if anybody said anything even close to a definite article at this point, the entire city of Seattle would try to come have them assassinated. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm not going to, I'm going to avoid that, but that well, you've got a couple a, of days until they get a hit. cool story to look for <laughs> because otherwise pretty much every other playoff team is somebody you have seen. Well, actually, I'm going to say that because if you think about it, but actually the Phillies haven't made the playoffs since 2011, which is now an 11, you know, they've gone over a decade since they made it. Like I said, mm-hmm. the Mets had last made the playoffs in 2016, which definitely seems wrong. Um, but so, yeah, there's a couple other teams. But then otherwise, you got the Dodgers again, the Astros again, the Cardinals again, 
Yankees again, Atlanta again, Cleveland again, Tampa Bay again, Toronto would be the second year in a row for them. San Diego would be their first time in a little while. Actually, when was the last time the Padres made the playoffs? 2020. 2020? Okay. I uh, forgot. They didn't really count that as real playoffs. Before then, 2006. There you go. Thank you. So the last time they really made the playoffs is 2006. Since we saw how they the, the Padres collapsed the last two years in the second half, I don't think we can count a year where there was no second half as a playoff year for the Padres. Uh, would you like to know the how... Just in time for them. Would you like to know how the Padres run went last time around in 2020? Uh, in 2020? Didn't they lose to the Dodgers and... Beat like, the Cardinals, yeah. swept by the Dodgers. I have a feeling... <laughs> That would be funny. Right now they're not lined up. Right now they're lined up for Atlanta uh, and not St. Louis. But Well, that's good at least because the Dodgers have whooped their ass every chance they've gotten. All, all that would take would be all that, all that has to happen is the Phillies just have to jump up, you know, pass them here at the end to put the, put the Padres into the last wildcard spot and then they'll have St. Louis. It would be very funny. Seems like something would, the Phillies would, would have, do. They would have, if the Padres. Had St. Louis, they would have the Dodgers in the next round too. So, mm-hmm. could totally happen. <laughs> would be fun. <laughs> it would also just be funny to see the Padres and the Dodgers meet up that early in the playoffs, and then people just all like be whining about how unfair this is to the Dodgers that you know they're getting a team as good as the Padres this early in the playoffs, and you know really this should be like a championship series. Let's let's take a look at the Padres record against the Dodgers real quick. I have a feeling it's real bad. Not great, Bob. I have a feeling. Let's see. 2022. What do we got, baseball reference? Schedule and results. Four and twelve. Ooh. Forty-one runs scored to a hundred runs against. So that sounds like that. those were close games. They, they definitely were not. Oof. Yeah, it's not great. Yeah, I mean, if you're a Padres fan, I would say one big point of concern I would have is they have a losing record against almost every single playoff team they have played, except the Mets. Before 12 against the Dodgers, 1-3 against Cleveland. Uh, like four and three against Atlanta, so they have a winning record against the NL East teams. Four and three against Atlanta, four and two against the Mets, uh, three and four against Philadelphia, one and three against Seattle, one and three against St. Louis. So, not ideal. Mm-mm. Now I'm trying to see when some of these series happened. Um, I think they're just kind of all over it. Seattle was July. St. Louis. Their one win against St. Louis came yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's good for timing. Yeah. Uh, oh, I mean, we've definitely seen that the regular season season the series and success does not necessarily translate to postseason series success, but yeah, it is so, kind of interesting. Speaking of a, uh, a recency bias here, though, these tiebreakers they've set up I actually kind of like that you get a little bit down the line and it's like, all right, so how'd you do in the second half? 
Yeah. Who's hotter right now? Yeah, it is interesting. In 2019, the Nats had losing records against uh, Milwaukee, the Dodgers, and St. Louis in the regular season. Huh. So How'd three. that turn out? Yep. I don't well, know. <laughs> Although they none of them I were really that well. like that. Well, <laughs> St. Louis was two and five. Yeah. And then what happened? <laughs> I think it was four zero. Swip. If I remember correctly, I believe you are correct. Mm-hmm. All right. Anything else we need to cover? I think that's it. That's it. All right. Then we're going to call it here and we will be back. uh, First or second week of October. Once the season is well and done, uh, we'll probably talk about some of these first round series that are coming up. Um, Hopefully most of those will be completed at that point. And then we can kind of, kind of review those. See what we're looking forward to as far as the rest of the postseason. And then we're going to really talk about some uh, some off-season stuff, some some wishful thinking on our part, and then some more reality-based items. So <laughs> we uh, will reality. That's the worst. <laughs> <laughs> but until then, we are ghost.